All right. We have been going through a series about not bending the knee, but loving, obeying, and trusting God only. And we've taken a look at various situations where men and women uh, refuse to bow the knee or to stop worshiping or praying or whatever they were doing on behalf of God, regardless of the consequences. And we took a look also at, at people who rejoiced at the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Then we also took a look within this series about doing it God's way and what is God's way, God's will. And this last message in this series is about understanding that God accomplishes his purpose. And so when God plans to do something, God accomplishes it. The scriptures tell us specifically and implicitly that this is the case. We see, for instance, even in Romans chapter 8, that it talks about that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it's interesting, we see books and colleges and universities all talking about finding your purpose when God says, not so much about your purpose, it's about his purpose and how everything will work out and he'll make even bad stuff good because we are loving him and are called according to his purpose. So we're going to take a look at that nothing can Stop God from doing his purpose. Now, in the message, I'm going to, we're going to take a look at two individuals who are going to show how God accomplishes this. But I want to, to make up a story. So I don't want to call it a parable because that's kind of infringing on Jesus and he does all things a whole lot better than me. So I'm just going to say, this is a fictional story. I'm not. You know, I made it up. It didn't happen. Okay, And so in this, my fictional story, God comes to me, not pepperoni pizza. God himself comes to me and says, I have a purpose for you, Joe. The 2023 professional football season, you are going to be the starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. And... I would respond, but God, they have one of the best, if not the best, quarterbacks in all of professional football. And God says, he'll be your backup. But God, you don't understand, I'm 70. Want to be 71 before the season starts? Because I didn't call Moses until he was over 80. Well, God... The only experience I've ever had playing quarterback is playing street football. And street football isn't the non-organized football. It is, I played in the street football. I played in the street in front of my house. And we had either two to four people on a team. And if you fell down, you got skinned up because you were playing on asphalt. 
There are times we had to delay the game because cars would go by. And uh, there was the curb, so we had that. And there was one time uh, our piano player, pianist, he, she lived on the same block as I did. And we were playing this game, and I won't tell you who, but his name was Mike. He, we were playing football, and you've heard the expression that, that the linebacker or the safety hits like a truck. Well, we threw the ball to Mike. He ran it out, threw the ball to Mike. He caught it and turned and ran into a Fiat. So I don't know what a truck feels like being hit, but Mike can tell you what a Fiat hit feels like when you hit it. And so I would say, God, that's my experience. Okay, Joe, you've read my word. You've read my scripture. You have read it. You've even preached on it that says that nothing is impossible for God. Were you just saying those things or did you mean it? And so his final words to me is, you should have said two things. I'll start getting in shape. And how is it that I will continue to be pastor of FBC West while I am playing quarterback in the National Football League on Sundays a half a country away? Don't give me all these excuses. Don't give me all these whatever. I told you that I've called you to do something. Do it. Now, I said this preposterous story. Because there may be something in your life that just says, that's preposterous. God would never call me to do it. Well, guess what? Nothing is impossible with God. Throughout the scriptures, God has called people to do his things. As I mentioned, Moses. Moses offered excuses. I can't speak. I can't do. I can't whatever. And God accomplishes what God planned to accomplish. There were other things that, that God has gone through, and he has called men and women to do miraculous things, not that they would do it, but because he accomplished it. So nothing stops him from accomplishing what he wants to do. So what I'll do is I'll just tell you what the story was about. So Jonah is called by God. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them and tell them that in 40 days, the city is going to be doomed. And so Jonah takes and gets a ticket. And instead of going to Nineveh, and the reason he doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because he doesn't like the Assyrians. And Nineveh is probably one of the largest cities that was ever developed in the ancient world. And he decides, instead of going to Nineveh, he decides to get a ticket on a boat going to Tarshish. Now, it's not quite sure where Tarshish is. Some people believe it's in Sardinia. Some people believe it's where Carthage was. And some people believe that maybe it's 
far away as Spain. But wherever it may be, it was in the opposite direction. You don't need a boat to get to Nineveh. You might need a camel or a horse, but you don't need a boat. And Jonah says, I don't want to do what God wants me to do because I don't like those people. I'm leaving and I'm going the opposite direction. And as you know, this story, uh, they start getting uh, heavy winds and, and seas and they start throwing uh, their, the contents of their boat over. And Jonah goes, no, no, you need the, you're having a problem because I'm running away from God. Throw me over. And, and they act heroically and go, no, we don't want to throw you over. And so they keep trying. But finally, if the boat is going to sink, so they actually throw Jonah over. And we're told, and, and a lot of people say, well, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. It doesn't say he was swallowed by a whale. As a matter of fact, it said he was swallowed by a giant fish. A whale is not a fish, it's a mammal. So he's swallowed by a giant fish, and he's there for three days. Now, some people believe that the miracle in Jonah's case is that God keeps him alive in the belly of the fish for three days. That'd be a good miracle, and if that's the way God did it, that's the way God did it. I don't think, and I don't believe that that's how, what happened. I think Jonah died in the belly of the fish. The reason I think that is the context of him praying that he's in Sheol and he and the gates are surrounding him. So I think he died. And not only that, Jesus says, the only sign that this generation is going to have is the sign of Jonah, which Jesus didn't stay alive in the belly of the body of the ground. He was dead there. So I believe Jonah was dead. And the miracle was God brought him back to life. When Jonah goes, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'll do what you told me to do. So the fish regurgitates Jonah on dry land. He doesn't even make him swim there. And he decides, okay, I'm going to do what God. So now it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So God says, I didn't change. Just because you didn't want to do what I told you to do didn't mean that God changed his mind. As a matter of fact, God says the same story. So, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. So it's, it's a massive city, especially if you consider the ancient times trying to get water and those types of things to a city. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Boy, that's the power of positive thinking. It's, it didn't say repent. He goes, this city is doomed. Because it is. And God's giving them warning. Now, the problem with Jonah is that Jonah knows who God is. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth, sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now, this is amazing. If you've read any of the minor prophets or the major prophets, almost every time the prophet declares that the people have sinned and they need to come back to God, they kill the prophets. 
They put them in prison. They put them in, in dungeons. They do all kinds of terrible things to them because they don't want to hear it. Here's a bunch of Gentiles, people that Jonah hates, people that don't know God on a sermon say, you know, he's right. We need to repent. And not only the lowly class, but even the royal, the entire culture says we need to repent. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. And again, this is the ancient way of showing that I am repent, that I am sorrowful, that I'm going to change, is that I tear my clothes, I put sackcloth on, and I put ashes. I am repenting. And not only does he do that, he's, he issued a proclamation, and it said, And Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hand. And he says, well, who knows? God may turn and relent from it and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. They understand there's no guarantee that God's going to change his mind. They're saying, who knows? Maybe God will relent, but we're still going to show him that we are sorry, that we have changed who we are. We are no longer the same. But even so, we're not doing this conditionally. We're doing this, and maybe God will change his mind. When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So God, in fact, listens to their cries and to their needs. And instead of destroying the city, he allows it to continue. Now, you would think, because we're used to like Billy Graham, that Billy, he would be excited. I preached. And the people responded, and the entire city, which we will see, is about 200,000 people get right with God. Now, that would be cause for celebration. I'm happy when one person comes to know the, God, the Lord. 200,000 people. You would think, he should be ecstatic. He should be, woo-woo, God, we're awesome. But it greatly displeased Noda, Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah goes, This is the reason I left for Tarsus, because I know exactly who you are, which is amazing. So many people who call themselves believers have no clue who God is. Jonah goes, I know who you are, God. And I hated those people. And I knew if I went there and preached that they might repent and you'd relent, and I didn't want that. 
because I know what kind of God you are. You are a merciful and gracious God. So I didn't want to go. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than life. Now, this is so us. When we're about to die, we're praying, God, don't let me die. But when everything is okay and we're not close to death, oh, death's better than life. Well, you know, he could have just stayed silent and not prayed, and he'd have been dead. But now death is more important because God is God and he didn't do what I wanted him to do. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? God asks such great questions. He doesn't do this long. He just says, okay, you're angry. You have a good reason? Not arguing with him that he's angry or not. Give me your good reason that you're angry. And of course he doesn't. Later in the story, it says that Jonah goes up on a hill and God causes a plant to grow within a day. It provides him with shade. And he's comfortable. Then God appoints a worm to eat the plant and a dry, hot wind Cause it to die. And Jonah is angry again. And he curses. And God again asks the same question. Do you have a reason to be angry? But then he follows it with this. Your compassion are on this plant. That you didn't plant. You didn't water. You didn't grow. But it provided you shit. The people in Nineveh are 200,000. He's the God of creation. He created the people you don't like. Should not God be allowed to be compassionate on his people that he created? So we see God accomplished his purpose. He sent Jonah, and he didn't send somebody else. He goes, Jonah, you go. Jonah goes, no, I'm not going. And guess what? Jonah went. God plays five-dimensional chess while we play beginning checkers. We never are able to outmove God. And again, what's so awesome about this story is God is, okay, Jonah, you get to take off to go Tarshish. I'll pick Mortimer to go. He doesn't. God says, my purpose is to send you. I'm sending you. You go. Second person that we're going to talk about is a person named Saul. Saul was a guy who hated Christians. They called them the people of the way. So much so that he was there when Stephen was stoned to death and approved it. He decided to arrest and persecute people, Christians in Jerusalem, and that wasn't satisfactory to him. So he got permission and authority to go to Damascus, another large city, and to persecute and arrest people of the way there. Paul was a zealous persecutor of the church. 
But on the way to Damascus, Saul met the Lord. And notice in that statement, the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say the church. He didn't say my disciples. He said me, because God takes it personal when you are persecuted for his name's sake. Not a matter of, oh, you persecuted John and Sally. No, you persecuted me. Knocks him off his horse causes him to be blind, and he goes on to Damascus. Now it says, now there was a disciple in, at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So God is saying, Ananias, I want you to go to this particular house on this particular street with this particular person. And in there, there is a man named Saul and he's blind. And he's been given a vision by me that somebody named by your name is going to go and lay hands on him, and he's going to receive his sight. You see, God is pretty specific. Not a bunch of, no, this is the plan. This is what I told Saul. This is what I'm telling you, so that when you go, Saul's going to know I sent you, because he's not expecting any person. He's expecting Ananias. Now, Ananias is like all of us. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who are called upon your name. So Ananias basically saying, are you sure, God? Maybe you ought to rethink this. Because Saul is here to arrest me and bind me and take me back to Jerusalem. I think maybe you're making a mistake. Isn't it awesome how often we try to tell God what's best? So many times you see over and over the book of Job throughout the Bible. Everybody telling God what God ought to do. God had a plan and God's going to accomplish it. And God's going to accomplish it because guess what, Ananias? I already told him a man by your name is going to go. So therefore, you're going to go. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Notice the two things. He goes, he's a chosen vessel. The very person you think shouldn't be chosen, I've decided to use. The one who's persecuting the church, I'm going to use as a chosen vessel to make my name known to the Gentiles, and to kings, and to others.
But he doesn't stay there. Paul, who is called Saul, is going to have a specific awesome ministry. And let's, let's be real. Paul, who was Saul, has impacted you and me who are believers. Because much of the New Testament was written while he was in prison and while he was in other places and while he was concerned about various churches. And we read what God has called us to do and what the will of God is and all of these various things, everything from Romans to 1st and 2nd Corinthians and uh, Galatians and Ephesians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus and even Philemon. He has written those books that we might know God better. So yes, Paul had this marvelous ministry in the first century, which is still carrying out in the 21st century and will continue in every century thereafter until the Lord comes. Ananias didn't think God should use him. But he also said, this is not going to be any simple ministry. I'm going to show him how much he must, not is going to, that he must suffer for my name's sake. And he did. He suffered shipwreck and beating and stoning and Judaizers and people trying to diminish his ministry and to take away the security of we believers because we must do something instead of our faith in Jesus. And all of this, he continues in his ministry. And even while in prison, he writes many of the books. And eventually, we are told that he loses his head for the name of Jesus. God accomplished his purpose when he called Jonah to preach to people he didn't want to hear. When he called Saul to minister even to you and me. God accomplishes purpose. So, if God has called you to do something, you can do what most people in the scriptures do. Oh God, I don't know. I can't talk. I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm too that. And then God can simply say, haven't you read and haven't you heard that nothing's impossible for me? That there's nothing too hard for me? I'm sending you, but I'm doing it. It's my, it's what I'm doing. The amazing thing is we think that all these men and women of God were great men and women of God. They were only great men and women of God after they allowed God to accomplish his purpose. We look from the back. In our lives, we look from the present. God 
is doing a great work in you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. We are his workmanship to do good deeds. God is working on us to accomplish his purpose and is not sufficient to say, well, I can't do it. Jonah didn't want to, he did it anyway. Ananias didn't think it was a good idea, he did it anyway. And you may think and I may think we're not sufficient to do it. But in my imaginary story, if God were to call me, say, the 2023 season, you are going to be the starting quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. The very team you said is my team. Instead of asking questions, just start getting started. That's what we need to do. It's not about what God what my purpose is for my life and accomplishing his purpose. When I accomplish his purpose, nothing can harm me. Nothing can separate me from his love because nothing bad will happen. Even when those bad things happen, he will turn it into good because of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which will always take place. And all of God's people say, Amen.